disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, today, one of my favorite people to talk to is Councilman Anthony Piagentini of Louisville Metro Council. He is cool, man. His family immigrated to the United States from Italy, and uh, he's got, like, we had a very interesting conversation about that and immigration and why America can't seem to get that right because we can't get the two sides together and that there are ways to actually bring the two sides together and have it make sense. And then we talked about some of the crazy stuff that Mayor McBike Lane is doing, ordering up electric cars. We talked about COVID. It was a wide-ranging conversation, and I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy it, as I did. I, I, it's, we also started off the conversation talking about ridiculous how ridiculous taxes are. <laughs> it's just like the more you work, the harder the government comes after you. You know, So uh, it's a fun conversation, so enjoy this. First of all, I do want to um, thank our partners, and uh, that is Louisville cabinets and countertops Uh, look i don't talk about businesses that i don't believe in and louisville cabinets and countertops i i not only tell you about them the bottom line is i've been a customer and not only once but actually twice and um the thing that i love about them is first of all the customer service right like it was kind of hands-on like totally hands-on like i felt like i was always being taken care of if i had a question about the the layout and all that kind of stuff. And we had a really individual weird problem in our kitchen where we had this island uh, that was, well, it was just funky. It was unusable. It, it, I, I like to entertain. I like the open feel. And it was supposed to be an open kitchen, but this island was kind of blocking everything. It was just weird. I don't know. So I brought in, uh, uh, I brought in uh, Tim, who owns the company, and I was like, what do you think? Can you fix this for me? And he kind of scratched his head, and he was like, yeah, I got this. I'll fix this. And the next thing you know, our kitchen was absolutely beautiful. We did quartz countertops. It was stunning. A little more expensive to do quartz, uh, but the maintenance is much lower. It was kind of like, put it in and you're good. But that that was awesome. And so then we went back to them for our master bathroom, and they did a fantastic job on that as well. So the, the, the thing about Louisville cabinets and countertops is if you have now come to the conclusion that it's time to either upgrade your kitchen because you want to uh, actually – Stay in that house forever, do it, right? Um, Or maybe you want to flip that house or whatever, do it. And they've got three designers on staff, Michelle, Kelly, George. They'll take really good care of you. If you're a contractor or a a do-it-yourselfer, maybe you're flipping a house or something, they actually actually have uh, in stock beautiful, high-quality, very affordable cabinets that are ready to go. And you can also get like laminate countertops cut and ready pretty much sometimes the same day. It just depends on what your measurements are, but they can do that for you as well. They're just fantastic. So if you're going to fix your kitchen up, these are the folks to call. Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, and it's super simple. Just go to uh, LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com, and there's a phone number on there. It's 502-930-3304. They'll be happy to take your call. And listen, if you've been listening to this podcast, just call them and say thanks for supporting the disruption zone. And, you know, I'm not maybe, even if you're not ready to do your kitchen right now, so I'm not ready right now, but I will. And when I 
am. I'm coming to you guys, right? Uh, that they, they would definitely appreciate that. So check out their website, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 6200 Hit Lane, um, right there on the border of Oldham and Louisville, uh, Louisville and Oldham County, very close to where I used to live. Um, if you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or you know anywhere in sort of northeastern Kentucky, if you will, these are your guys. So make it happen. Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right, let's get to our conversation. We started off talking about taxes uh, with the great – uh, Louisville Metro Councilman Anthony Piagentini. Yeah, it almost seems like the more success you have, the more the government just wants to punish you for it. And, you know, you, you don't have to be wealthy to feel those consequences. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no. And, and, and I came, you know, look, I came from nothing, right? In other words, I mean, I, and what, I say nothing. I mean, I, I wasn't like, uh, you know, living on the streets of poverty. But, I mean, my... Grandparents are immigrants, you know, yeah. came over with nothing. Uh, you know, my parents were the first to go to college, um, you know, and it was like local school, right? It wasn't like they went away for college or did the college experience. And so, you know, I'm the first generation. I've never had, you know, I love these folks that talk about, you know, wealth inequality, particularly between, you know, just like there's this assumption that all white people, you know, just inherited wealth or something like that. It, it, it's like some single digit percentage of the population. And I don't even know who the hell those people are because right, right. I, I haven't inherited a dang thing right. other than, uh, other than my parents wanting me to get a good education. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the first generation in my family to actually begin, begin to accumulate any wealth. Yeah. And that's, and that's three generations in, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it is, it, but, but that process is fro to your point. I am not wealthy, right? I work hard and I work ridiculous hours in order to make right. money. Right. And for every incremental hour, the large, the, the chunk, my wife says to me all the time, my wife, mind you, is a registered Democrat, right? right? Says, oh, she's like, oh my God, just stop working. Like, you know, like, oh, <laughs> yes. stop working. Yes. Like, essentially stop working so hard because it's just not worth it at the end of the day. So, you know, so. that's funny because we were looking when our, our accountant sent us our stuff back last night and we were looking at the income line, what you should theoretically owe in the bracket. And there was like right. that one point where you break that $1 and your taxes almost yep. double. Like yep. literally almost double because of one dollar and my wife is like why i mean it's like it's and i get it man i i understand but i've always said hey we ought to have a fair tax or a flat tax because that is a progressive tax i mean if i if you make two hundred thousand dollars and you pay 10 percent flat tax you're going to pay 20 grand in taxes but the guy who only made fifty thousand dollars is only going to pay five thousand dollars so the rich will pay more the wealthy yeah, but, will but pay more but currently, the person that, that makes 50000 pays zero mm. in federal tax. He gets paid I mean, back. He gets money that he didn't even put in. I mean, that's all, right. Yeah, especially if he's got kids. You know, yes. I mean, it's like my wife and I, we don't have any of those little um, uh, mistake tax uh, exemptions running around the house. I mean, you know, I could try to claim my dogs. I don't think I don't think that would go over very well with the IRS. So I'm going to avoid that, you know. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's just like we don't have those tax deductions. Um, so you're you're a first generation American. Your parents came from Italy. Is that right? No, I'm second generation. Second my generation. Parents, my grandparents came, you know, really in, in the big Italian movement in the early 19, you know, you know, early 1900s. Yeah. Say early. Yeah. I think it was the 20s and all that, you know. Uh, Where did they course, go to first? Where did they come to when they came to America? 
So my father's side went to Chicago. So, I mean, to okay. this day, every member of my extended family from the Piagentines is in Chicago. Yeah, um, okay. We were the only ones that moved out of Chicago because my father joined the Navy. Okay. Right, so he you know moved out. And then my mother, uh, it was uh, Baltimore. So actually, I am probably to some degree related to Nancy Pelosi because <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's um, maiden name is Delisandro. Yeah, okay, my, I knew that. Yeah. My, my grandmother's maiden name is Delisandro. Oh, and wow. they were in Baltimore. I mean, how many Delisandros could there have possibly been in well, Baltimore? you know, 80 years ago. Clearly your so, side of the family got the brains then. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's why right. she went to the West coast. Right. Yeah. So, and so, so yeah, so that, that were the two areas, Baltimore and, and uh, Chicago. My father and mother ended up in New Jersey because he was, again, he was in the Navy when he left the Navy, that New Jersey's where the work was at the time you went where you could get a job. Right. right? So, yeah. And that's where, and that's where they, they, uh, that's where I was raised. And then of course I moved here 10 years ago uh, for work. Cause that's where the work was. So <laughs> did, your grandparents, when they first came here, did they face any kind of anti-immigrant sentiment of any type? Um, and, and I don't know how – because I know like my background is Irish, and I know the Irish had a real tough time of it when they came over. Um, but I don't know anything beyond that. You know, I don't have, I don't have any you know, specific history on our family. We're pretty much mutts, but the, you know, there is a strong Irish lick right. in our family but did you guys did do you have story have you heard stories of that happening or was chicago pretty open to it i know new york was rough and tumble for a lot of immigrants and everybody sort of separated into their own little communities and that's how we got chinatown and little italy yeah. and you know little ireland and all that kind of stuff but how was it for your grandparents you know they didn't talk my grandparents were of the generation let me put it this way they stopped speaking Italian in the home in order to assimilate as quickly as possible. My grandparents would have, they would have been of school age, like middle school to high school age when they came here okay. and couldn't speak, or maybe a little younger than that. So late elementary school, somewhere in that when they came across, I mean, they couldn't speak any English. So, and they had to go right into public school. So they were doing every, I mean, within one year, got fluent enough in English to be able to get do well in school. Right. And they did that by just doing everything they could to assimilate, to learn the language, to right. be a part of the society, to be American. Right. right. Um, where, whereas today I don't speak a lick of Italian. My father did to some degree. Uh, my mother did, but I don't speak one word of Italian, never learned it, never spoke in the house. None of that. Yeah. Right. And I, and I had, and I had family members who were still alive when I was a kid who didn't speak English, who had come over, you know, like you know, come over from that side of the family. And, um, my parents had to translate for, it. there was no desire for us. We wanted to be American. Right. So they didn't, they never spoke of interestingly enough, uh, anti-Italian, although there was, I mean, oh, I yeah. Cite yeah, examples, definitely. but they didn't talk much about that. Actually, the biggest problem that my family ran into, they were in Chicago. We were Northern Italians. Okay. Okay. I was going to ask what region. Yeah. Northern Italian outside of Florence, small town, Italy. Right. And hated, you know, we were fleeing, um, the socialists is right. what we were fleeing. Right. And hated the mob, hated them. Like Rudy Giuliani style hated organized crime. So my uncle actually, I have an uncle, when I say uncle, my grandparents, brothers and sisters, right? That generation. Right. Great so uncle. great uncle, whatever you want to call him. He had a, uh, a general store. It, it was like a restaurant, like sort of area and general store in Chicago refused to sell 
uh, Al Capone booze and oh, wow. was and was shot by oh, Frank wow. Nitty. Oh my gosh. So, so yeah, the, any discrimination he lived, thank God, but we, any discrimination that we experienced was actually inter-Italian American feuds right. between uh, the the organized crime and then the northern Italians who wanted to assimilate, be Americans, get freedom, right, and you know own a little slice of the American pie, own a little business, and and you know just do our thing. Right. So that that was the bigger problem that my Chicago family fought. Uh, so so over, you have you, know, you have a great time. uncle who refi- like stood up to Al Capone's boys and took a yeah. bullet for it. Yeah, yeah, they they literally said, "Okay, c- come here, walk down this alleyway, don't turn around." And my, uh, it, it might have been actually my grandfather's father. I can't remember, but my grandfather was there, right? And he pushed my grandfather into a pile of trash, and they, you know, shot, you know, my this great uncle, whoever this family member, extended family member, but right. shot him in the back walking down an alleyway, you know. Yeah, Frank <laughs> Nitty. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's crazy. So man. it was. So yeah. So I mean. So our problem was more that yeah. that problem, right? Was the, you know, and, and and that's a lesson to be learned related to the whole immigration debate going on today. Right? Oh, absolutely. Th- that that when you're import, you know, when you're bringing people in, and I'll speak exclusively about uh, Italian immigrants. There were two types of immigrants that were coming in. Largely, I'm oversimplifying it, but you had immigrants that were coming in fleeing socialism fleeing um, this sort of government tyranny and wanted freedom. They were desperate for freedom. They wanted freedom. And then you had another group of people coming in that were looking to exploit the situation, right? And looking to have people under their thumb and create their own little totalitarian regimes in these towns and cities. And, you know, unfortunately at the time, we didn't weed that out, right, right, as an immigration uh, policy of the government. So, you know, and then there was a clampdown at one point on Italian immigrants because we were importing criminals. We right. were importing, um, you know, th- this criminal element largely out of Sicily. Right. And it's not to say that everybody Sicilian was a criminal. I'm just saying that's where the right. crime came from at the time. And, and, and so, you know, when people debate it, now we talk about Central Americans and people from Mexico and all this stuff. I mean, look, of course, not every I mean, tons of people that are trying to get into this country from there, trust me, who just want to create a better life for themselves. They want freedom. They want the American dream. But you've got to have a policy that weeds out the problem. And the and 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 not only will that create or not only will that reduce the racial issues within America, because you have more people that are focused on the ideal of America right. as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, racial uh, divides, the more they have a common philosophy of freedom, a common philosophy uh, and desire to be part of this free country, um, but also reduce and make the mistake that there's tons of this in Hispanic American communities, um, intra-racial issues, mm-hmm. because you have those that are coming here that want to be Americans uh, juxtapose that those that are coming here who want to exploit America. Right. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's it, it, yeah, it's very similar in the sense that the cartels are involved in deep involved in heavy human trafficking right. and that kind of thing. And so my dad lives on the border and he uh, experiences a lot of this firsthand. He's had some folks that were, uh, we believe, tied to cartels that have been tried to intimidate the church and different yep. things. And uh, he's faced quite a few problems with regards to that. It's very dangerous. I don't think people realize just how dangerous it is. But on the other hand, 
uh, I'm very pro-immigration, and um, I want people to be able to come here for any reason, not necessarily. I'm, I don't. I'm a libertarian, so I don't subscribe to the "Hey, you got to be a doctor, or nurse, or a scientist to be here." No, right, I, right. I don't think that when someone comes here and becomes an American and does it the right way, they are not taking a damn thing from any other American. The 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 uh, the, the economic pie of freedom and free markets is fi- is infinite. It's not finite. It's infinite. Yeah. It will expand. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who comes here with a great idea and a work ethic is going to make us better. But I don't understand how that gets lost in translation because I can guarantee you if I say this, if I say I want strong borders, because I do, because it makes sense to know who's coming and going. It just makes freaking sense. Europeans do it uh, in, in, in European countries. You know, um, they do it all over the world. They do it in just about every country. Mexico has border control. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> I mean, if you're in Mexico illegally, the penalties are multiple times worse yeah. than being in America illegally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, the, but the point is, when you talk about assimilation and speaking the language, I always say I want people to learn the language. I don't want them to drop their own. If they want to keep speaking it, speak it. I don't care. That's right. But learn to speak it, not because I think you should speak English because it's superior to everything else, although it is the world global business language. I mean, it is known as that. But because I want you to be successful if you come here. I want you right. to be successful. And the only way to be successful is to be able to communicate with people around you yeah. so you can start a business and grow your own wealth and all that kind of stuff. And I want that for everyone. Tom, Thomas Sowell talks about this. He said the number one way you can slow down or completely stop the economic development and growth of any immigrant population is to slow down their their uh, fluency yes. in whatever the native language 100%, 100%. is. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and and you know, I mean, look, I studied in Taiwan. I studied Chinese. I went to Taiwan. I I, I had to learn. Uh, and I was already studying it for a couple of years in the States. And then I went there to full immerse in it and, and learn it. Um, if I was interested in working there and conducting business and living there, it was incumbent upon me to learn the language. Otherwise, yeah. I, I mean, do some people speak English there? Are they similar to us in that they have a, uh, a fairly free and open society where they don't discriminate against somebody because you don't speak the local language sure they do but that doesn't mean i'm the one that would have been hurt not them right i'm the one right right had i not spoken mandarin chinese fluently uh, that i would have my economic prospects would have gone to zilch yeah right yeah um i i I love uh um what's that movie uh it was a show um it was uh audrey hepburn um oh and there's an opening there's uh it's not the king and i anyway but there's an opening my fair lady ah, my fair yes, lady okay the opening song the opening song sung by henry higgins which is the linguist is that it is your mastery of the english language that has dictated your place in society and he says actually one of the lines is this verbal class distinction by now should be antique and his point was and he actually says to his colleague, he said, if you, sir, if you spoke as she does, a woman that spoke poor English, sir, instead of the way you do, why you might be selling flowers, too. And his point was, he didn't care if you were aristocratic or not. If you couldn't speak the English language well enough or not, you were already classified and your limitations set. Yeah. And that's been going on for hundreds of years. And it's still true today. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about cooperation. 
um, across the board. And like I said, I welcome all immigrants, and I don't believe we have, I don't believe we have to have a cap on legal immigration. I just think it has to be done in an orderly way. Um, right. and the only the only priorities I would put is if we do have people that are fleeing socialism, if we do have people that are fleeing fleeing communism, if we do have people that are fleeing religious or sexual oppression or whatever, then. I, I would I would want to fast track those people so long as they want to assimilate and become Americans. You know, I mean, yeah, what was exactly it? Right. I, Iran is in uh, some of these some countries in the Middle East, some of the more extreme dictatorships. They they execute gay people. Um, oh, they horrible. they will they will. If a woman is raped, it's impossible for her to get justice. If you have people that are trying to flee those kinds of things, they should have fast track into American citizenship so long as they want. And I imagine yeah. if you're trying to get away from something like that, I imagine you can't wait to be an American. So bring well, it, you know, I, I mean, I love it, but I will juxtapose it. And this is, and I know we want other topics. To yeah, 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 so yeah. wrap this up here. The, I will juxtapose immigration, like the what folks that you just talked about versus refugees. And here is where we have totally screwed up. I, I bring, um, you know, Christmas presents, mostly they're Muslim refugees, frankly, but to local refugees, we bring, uh, and we say Christmas presents, like we find out what they need. They need pillows, they need blankets, they need bedding, they need dishes, they need, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we bring it to them around Christmas time, right? We adopt families and we bring them all this stuff. Okay. Met this fit. And I, I'm one of the people that go and deliver, right? So I go and deliver to this local Syrian refugee family and the, the father, father, wife, uh, like five kids, right? One of the kids was, you know, high school down to elementary school age. His father and I sit down over coffee. He waxed poetic about Assad and the Syrian regime, mm. basically telling me how much better it was than America. He didn't want to be here, hmm. right? He was here because he was part of a refugee program and had nowhere else to go and got into the American sort of refugee he was in a refugee camp and got into the american refugee cycle and was brought into the united states right as opposed to staying in the camp right he wanted to go back to syria right he didn't want to be here right right and this is the other very interesting dynamic when people advocate for refugees mm -hmm. many times refugees don't want to end up and stay permanently in the country in which they are a refugee in. They right. are they are understood that they want to be there temporarily. Right. And they're and he was grateful. He wasn't ungrateful for, right. for, for being in America at this time, but he said, you know, his intent was to get back to Syria. Right. He wanted to go home. Okay. Great. Right. Yeah. Good for you. And so this is the other thing, like, and I see different political groups that first of all they confuse the two issues right, right. you, you right. confuse immigration which is people wanting to be here and refugees who are forcibly moved right um and, and the whole point about refugees should refugees should be like a foster care program right the intent of the kentucky foster care program is to reunite nuclear families to get right. them back with their parents ideally hmm. okay same thing with refugees it should be a temporary thing hopefully you're we're able to stabilize their country so they can live where they want to live. Right. You know, they might not want to be here. So. Now, if they want to stay, you know, and and like you said, if they want to stay and they assimilate, then that's cool. But exactly right. You, exactly you, you, right. At that point, you'd want to create different tracks. Because I also, that's I'm right. I'm actually for if if people are experiencing like, man, I would love right now for us to open up. I wish there was a way to do it. We can't. But the Uyghurs. In China, who are oh, being sure. slaughtered, and, and it's total slaughtered. genocide, and our left-wing media doesn't want to admit it. But 
it's happening and you know it'd be awesome because i bet a uh, but but i i would imagine because what's happening there is is cultural meaning that chinese the chinese um uh communist party is trying to destroy a culture that doesn't fit into what they want for their country and understand i'm not talking about the chinese people i'm talking about the chinese government which is two different mm-hmm. things but they're trying to destroy a culture because you know they don't want that diversity in their culture. So those are people who probably don't necessarily want to be away from their home region forever. But right now, they'd probably prefer that to a concentration camp or disappearing relatives and all that other stuff that, that China is doing with the people associated with that. So, But, yeah, we could, we could go down a rabbit trail with this stuff. This is a good conversation. But mm-hmm. let's talk about things that maybe are a little bit closer to home. Um First of all, uh, the Courier-Journal reported that June 11th, Governor Andy Bashir finally set a date for Kentucky mm-hmm. to be back at full capacity. He says no more masks after June 11th. Isn't it interesting how in the first six months of Biden's presidency, COVID has all but disappeared? I mean, and and not to mention what makes June 11th magical. I, I, the bottom line is in, in Louisville alone. We have the lowest number of deaths since we started recording deaths due to COVID in the history of this uh, uh, pandemic. Yeah. Right. Going back to the first two weeks, other than the first two weeks of the pandemic, from week three forward, we are at the lowest mortality rate that we have ever had. Hmm. The, um, the the only reason the infection rate looks a little different, the amount of infected people for the first like two months of the pandemic, we didn't have enough testing going on. Yeah, there were clearly probably five times more people infected at the time. Right. But if you take out that period of time, lowest infections that we've ever had. And, um, you know, again, once this why there's this magical date on June the 11th, as opposed to today, when again, what is going to happen? People will naturally make their own decisions. And here's the difference. I support somebody's decision to keep wearing a mask. Feel free. I'm not telling you not to. You want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. Right. 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 But I have been government mandated to wear a mask this whole time, right? I have not had the same freedoms and I have played by all the rules, right? Um, you know, I've done everything I've been asked to do at this point and still, right? But so finally, I, you know, I don't know what the story is or, or why that's a magical date, but I mean, I'm just, although I think he has handled this incredibly poorly, you know, to this day, he still hasn't kept with the Restaurant Association in Kentucky. And when I say him, I mean his whole administration, right? right? Has not had sit down meetings with the Kentucky Restaurant Association. They are flying blind here in the state of Kentucky. Have no idea what the hell's going on, why decisions are made. Can they be at the table and get some input and present some ideas? But, you know, but I am, as I said when it was announced, better late than never. Right. So, right. Yeah. But, we'll but take quite it. frankly, outside of Louisville and Lexington, I would tell you 90% of the rest of the state has been you know, of questionable mask, uh, you know, <laughs> some people wearing masks. Some people, I mean, yeah. he, he has, he made an announcement like, Hey, you can, w- don't have to wear a mask at outdoor events, less than a thousand people. I literally said to a friend, I was like, were we supposed to be wearing masks at outdoor events? Less than a thousand? <laughs> like who the hell was following that rule? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I love the lifting of the curfew on May 28th at the bars, because at 10 Oh one, that's when COVID pounces. If you're sitting next to a guy that's with COVID right. at a bar, at 959 that covid ain't going to touch you but at 1001 yeah. <laughs> it's coming after you and you better watch out it's so arbitrary that's that's the funny thing i went to a local fast food restaurant to to get some iced tea yesterday and i didn't have my mask on and um 
I just walked in and, and they were like, would you like to wear a mask? And I was like, no. <laughs> and, yeah, and, right. and and he goes, well, would you, would you, uh, he goes, well, it's a company policy. And I said, are you asking me to leave? And I shouldn't have done this. I don't normally get belligerent about stuff like this, but I just wanted to see where this would go. So I go, are you, you asking me to was, leave? Yeah. And he goes, no, I'm asking if you'd like to wear a mask. And I said, no, I don't want to wear a mask. And he goes, would you like to talk to the manager? And I was like, not really, but if he wants to talk to me, he can. So the manager comes over and he goes, it's a company policy. I felt like I was in that scene from Office Space where they were trying to get uh, Jennifer Aniston to wear more flair because they wouldn't tell me. They would neither tell me to leave nor would they tell me that I had to wear a mask. They just kept over and over again asking if I wanted to wear one. And I'm like, how clear do I have to be that I don't want to? And I was like, if you're telling me to put a mask on in order for you to serve me, give me the mask and I'll wear it because it's your property. You right. have every right to do that. I'm just asking you to tell me what it is you want me to do. Would you like to wear a mask? No. I'm telling no. This is an exchange of ideas here. You asked me a question. I answered you. I'm not, I'm not trying to. But it was this. I wanted to see where it would go. I, I shouldn't have been that way. I should have just, you know, whatever. But it was I, at some point we get to this place where it's like, do you realize? Because here's the funny thing. We have uh, 100% capacity in restaurants now. And you don't have to wear a mask when you're sitting. So. I'm in this restaurant. It's full of people, 10 feet behind me, full of people sitting in, bo- in, in, in booths, no masks on, talking, laughing, joking, okay? There's a plexiglass between me and this dude asking me if I want to wear a mask. And I'm like, dude, it's already blown. I'm in here now, and I don't have a mask. Yeah. If I'm going to cause devastation in the apocalypse, I've already done it. So take my order or tell me to leave. It was just like, what are you doing? It made well, no we- sense. Yeah, we have lost, unfortunately, what has happened. And and, and look, I, I don't know if there's any one person to blame. Certainly the government uh, as a, you know, if, if there is like you could say the government is this one entity right. is to blame for this, but is politicized the junk out of this. Right. Instead of being real and rational. Right. It was the same thing with, um, you know, after when President Biden is sitting next to Vice President Harris both vaccinated, both 20 feet away from anybody else and still wearing a mask. What are you doing? Yeah, right. Yeah. When you see the governor and his wife and two kids getting they're outdoors, getting into their own personal vehicle. Right. And somebody takes a picture. All that. Uh, well, the parents were vaccinated, taking a picture of them and they're all wearing masks. You just were inside all breathing the same. Like, what is the difference? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean. It's that that is where like, why would we be wearing a mask? Right. Just do what normal people do and say, oh, no, you know, look, when I'm in public and within six feet of somebody for more than 15 minutes, which was all the studies. Here's the thing. All the studies that were done on mask effectiveness had everything to do with two major factors. There were three indoors, less than six feet, more than 15 minutes. Right. Right. If you don't meet any of those three criteria, the mask effectiveness goes away. Right. Right. And so had we been more realistic about saying, look, here are the three circumstances. If you are indoors less than six feet for more than 15 minutes, you have to wear a yeah. mask. Yeah. Right. If you're not vaccinated. Right. Yeah. OK. If we were more honest about that, I think you would have seen compliance. And in other, you know, look at Texas, look at Florida, look at some of these other states. You see more reasonable compliance in those high risk circumstances, because even the restaurant thing, the restaurant bar thing, I'll tell you, at least in Kentucky, speak for Kentuckys, I talk to the public health directors here pretty often. The reason they got so crazy about the restaurants was when they did their quote contact tracing, they found that there was a 
a high level of correlation, mind you, I said correlation, not causation, that in the last five days that people had said they contracted COVID, they had been in a restaurant. The problem with that is the people that in the midst of the pandemic who were going to restaurants were probably the same people that were going to friends' houses and not wearing masks, Yeah, which is like 60 to 70% of the cases were at home. Yeah. Okay. And so this concept that, okay, then we're going to shut down restaurants because it's not a causal relationship. They had no proof of the causality. It was just correlation, which again, the people that are doing that, the people that are paranoid, they're not going to restaurants during the pandemic. It was the people that were okay with taking some risk, right? And saying, it's more important to me to live my life than to stay in the cocoon. But that's why they created all that 10 p.m. random st- rules and all this stuff. It was because of these extremely weak, loose correlations that didn't, had no real bona fide scientific basis to it. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I think about, too, it's theater. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, For instance, Senator Paul was so right about that. Yeah, it's all theater. Yeah, it is. And for instance, like this whole idea of like um, you don't have to wear a mask now if you're vaccinated, but unless you have vaccine passports, there's no way to know. So (laughs) it's like, what are you gonna do? And I I was at the gym this morning, and somebody came in, and she goes, "Do we still have to wear masks?" And they were like, "Um, "You can, you can go maskless if you're completely vaccinated." And we're just going on the honor system. And I'm like, "Well, there you go. I'm vaccinated, as far as you know." So it's it's right. it's really dumb. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something that I thought was interesting. The, the electric cars. There's finally something breaking on electric cars where the mainstream media seems to be realizing what a dirty mess they are uh, in terms of the, the, the type of pollution that is created when we dig out lithium and um, the working conditions for people that are digging out lithium, the lack of a disposal process. It really is in a lot of ways, as dirty, if not dirtier than fossil fuels. And yet, you know, the mayor of Louisville, Mayor McBike Lane, he is going full bore with massive purchases of electric cars, which really what that does, if, if you're trying to save the planet, it really just shifts the burden from one type of uh, fuel to another, but it doesn't really clean anything up. It just shifts, right. it shifts the responsibility for the same dirt to maybe someplace where you don't see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reports that I've seen, the studies I've seen that when an electric car is complete, when it rolls off the lot, it has already produced 65 percent of the emissions of a gas guzzler, right, of a typical combustion engine car. Right, right? now for the rest of its life, it can it's a much smaller contribution over its total life. My understanding is the difference might be three percent. It's It's almost negligible. Right. When you add in all the construction of the mining and all that, if they were again now, if the mayor was more honest about it, if he said, look, we're trying to clean up air quality in Louisville. OK, I'm with you. Right. Fifteen percent or so of the contrib- of the contrib- uh, contribution to poor air quality in the greater Louisville area is vehicle emissions. OK, if that were his only care. And he didn't care about global warming, which electric vehicles really don't contribute much to that at all. Then, okay, I get what you're trying to accomplish. At least we're being honest about it. Uh, But not to mention the fact that something in Louisville, I want to say 50 percent of your electricity is generated by coal. Okay, I got a buddy of mine who he drives a Tesla. He's a big tech guru guy or whatever. You know, so he drives a Tesla. His license plate is Friends of Coal. 
You know? <laughs> and I saw him at an event and I said, I love the fact that you are honest enough to put on your license plate where you get your power from. You know, and he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on around here. He's like, I like electric cars, but I know where my power is coming yeah. from. It's coming from coal. You know, you know, Thomas so, Massey does that, too. He has a, he drives a Tesla with a coal power plate, uh, coal fire power plate on it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, the, yeah, I mean, and, and, and not to mention the fact, not to mention the fact that we are literally a city in crisis. We now have the Department of Justice up our shorts related to our uh, policing. We're one of two cities now, Minneapolis and us. Great. I'm glad I'm on that short list. Right. <laughs> related to right. Seriously related to how we're policing in our whole police department. OK. Uh, a Democrat administration, by the way, a Democrat vice president and vice president ordered their Department of Justice to get up our Democrat mayor's department, figure out all these civil rights violations and everything else they're doing wrong. OK, that, that is clearly a, a stain on on you, mayor, not me. Right. Not the LMPD officers. That's a stain on you. You're the leader that could have fixed that in eight, over the last 10 years. OK, um, we have significantly underfunded. The debate is whether it's one billion or two billion. Uh, deferred maintenance capital needs, and I'm talking existing, right the second, we have two buildings right where City Hall and Metro Hall is. In between that is the fiscal court building. That building has a scaffold underneath it that is not there to repair the building. It's there to stop bricks from crushing people as they walk in and out of the building because the building is falling apart. <laughs> Jeez. LMPD headquarters is on the same block and connected to City Hall. There's a building in between and then there's LMPD headquarters. It is falling apart. They have floors in the building that are uninhabitable. They have constant sewage backups. They're moving LMPD out of it. They're going to condemn that building. They're going to condemn the fiscal building because we haven't kept up with them. Meanwhile, he wants to buy a bunch of electric vehicles. Right. This is a trait that like this tells you everything you need to know about his priorities. Horrible public safety, crumbling infrastructure, but well, we, we have some electric vehicles, so we're all good. We've saved the environment. Right. right? Yeah. It, 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 it's it's so twisted backwards, upside down, topsy turvy land yeah. from where reality is. It's it's almost hard to debate the topic. It really is. And and you know, it's I because I I actually have done a couple of pieces on how I I'm totally cool with chasing clean energy. I mean, you know, oh, I, sure. I, I I don't believe that your SUV is changing the the weather but i do believe that it is making uh it is it is hurting habitat for animals it's hurting habitat for human beings i think that there's you know now you got to do a risk versus reward same as you do with a vaccine right and the reward That's is right. we're lifting people out of poverty by having access to cheap energy that being said there's nothing wrong with incentivizing uh free market forces to chase even cleaner energy right and my right. understanding is porsche has just come out like they don't have to come out with it yet, but they're in the late stages of research on a on a uh, fuel replacement. It would be a synthetic fuel for combustion engines, and supposedly it's basically ninety nine point nine percent clean, like almost no emissions whatsoever. Um, right. If you could do that with existing technology, but just replace it with a synthetic fuel, it would be a thousand times cleaner than building an electric car. You know. Well, um, and, and, and not to mention the impact on, on um, you know, for example, let's just say your local power company wants to convert to uh, 
all renewables, right? And they have some artificial timeline, 10 years, whatever it is. Right. Who do you think's paying for that? Right. And 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 it, it is you, the consumer, and you, the, and the the one, the person that is least capable of taking on that additional cost, are lower income and and yeah. uh, lower socioeconomic working class people, right? It is slowing down their ability. While all the people who are super, all the super rich, right? They all got super rich during a time of cheap energy. Right. And that's part of the reason they were able to get rich so fast. Right. Because they were able to live off of cheap energy and manufacture things with cheap energy and drive with cheap energy and all this stuff. And then when they get into power. Right. Now I'm going to make energy ridiculously expensive. Right. Right. With, with zero with with, with it not 100 percent certitude onto what the benefit is. Right. There's again r- related to air quality. There is some data. There is not data that says if we switch over clean energy, we're going to reduce uh, global warming by one degree and that that certitude does not exist okay there's theories there's guesses there's models that suck frankly and so so they're going to cause people both in the united states and even more egregious second and third world countries who capitalism even the economist magazine finally admitted this capitalism is the sole reason why we have reduced over the past i think it's 20 years or 30 years the global poverty rate by half, by half, okay? It's been done because of capitalism, but they're gonna slow that down by requiring these countries to embrace very expensive technologies that will make it more difficult for them to raise themselves out of that poverty, right? And, right. and it's, it's it's tragic, really, when you think about it. Yeah, no doubt. And it's it's just a debacle of poor leadership, I think, so. Yeah, the um, fact that the mayor's the mayor's prioritizing this over yeah. the, the hundred other things over bricks falling the from the sky, <laughs> yeah. record homicides, right? People dying on the streets. Yeah, oh, but we got some green energy uh, vehicles. Yeah, hey, out. possibility yeah. city. So right. Um, right. I I just I, I look at the clock here, and I know you've got a hard time out that you got to run, but just one other quick thing: you you were working on some legislation that would essentially. Um, make it illegal in the city of Louisville to dox people. Where did that go? How did that go? What was that about? I just want to give you a second to chat about that real quick. Yeah. So um, what was a little frustrating was, uh, so we weren't going to criminalize, you know, just posting somebody's personal information. That that is, there's a lot of problems with that. For example, I just bought a house. Yeah. If, if you go to the county clerk's office, you can find out, right, that I, I that this deed transferred from point A to point B and who right. it is. And sure. It's already public record, right? So, but what was happening during the protest particularly is a lot, it was both to private officials and public, and public officials, I'm not talking me like elected officials, I'm talking about um, uh, bureaucrats folks. that found themselves in the crosshairs of that's right. cancel that's right. culture or whatever. And they were getting their not just their name and their address, but it was comments like it would suck if somebody went and raped his wife. Right. It would. And that's how they would word it. It would suck if somebody should. Okay, if they said, hey, you know, so and so lives here and I'm going to go kill him or even if they just said I'm going to go kill so and so. Right. That's a terroristic threat. There's already laws against that. Correct. But the county attorney and state and LMPD and everybody testified and said, if they say, well, it would suck if they're going to say, no, it's free speech. And there was no law to address that. So what we said was, if you both post the personally identifiable information, such as a home address, 
And in the same post, you're combining that with these threats, right? True threats, not, we even worded it in a way that said, it's not if I perceive it as a threat, it's if a, a normal person would receive, perceive it as a threat, right? And there's plenty of judicial standards for this, that that then becomes illegal, right? Because there's no other purpose for that than to do harm. You're right. not, there's no free speech. There's no, you know, free speech was about debate and political debate and all the, it was not designed so that you could set up the circumstances for mob justice, right. okay? Right. That, so, so that was the purpose of it. That, that ordinance failed at Metro Council, 12-12. Bipartisan support for seven Republicans, five Democrats, but 12 Democrats voted against it. And wow. because the tie fails. Yeah. Crazy enough, you know, I, I'm all about winning the war. I'll lose battles if I win the war, okay? Yeah. Crazy enough, Senator Schroeder, okay, he represents a northern Kentucky district, right? He had also presented a bill, a Senate bill, that had been kind of languishing during the uh, during the session. So this was back, you know, a little bit ago during the session. And we thought it wasn't going to pass. So it was almost written exactly, we mirrored our ordinance off of it, right? right? So it was, the language was almost the same. His included far greater penalties. I can only penalize people like 250 bucks, 500 right. bucks, you know. His include is, includes misdemeanors, and depending on the level of the action taken, could be a felony, right? If somebody actions that right. information, could be a felony. Okay, so uh, the last day of the session passes, okay? That was before the veto set that he didn't wasn't into the veto session. So at that point, if the governor vetoed it, it's toast. Right. Right. Meanwhile, the Democrats on council, one of the reasons they wouldn't vote for it is they said, oh, this is unconstitutional. This is unconstitutional. The governor signed it. Not only did he sign it, he actually lauded it as a reasonable constitutional. Uh, uh, and this is, you know, a governor, not exactly a right wing governor, number one. Right. And number and number two, former attorney general. Right. Who got up there on stage and said, you know, this is a reasonable solution to this problem. And it is constitutional. It does not infringe on free speech. Right. And, you know, and, and I was, you know, over the moon that he signed it and, and you know, contacted Senator Schroeder and thanked him for his leadership on it. Uh, because, you know, it was reasonable. And the fact that 12 Democrats voted against it, it, yeah. it had in the Senate, in the Kentucky Senate, only one person voted against it. So seven, the Democrats, the Kentucky Senate voted for it, but 12 Democrats on Metro Council well, voted against that, it. Ridiculous. Doxing is one of the top tools for cancel culture. And it is, right. and it is a threat. Uh, it, even if it's publicly available information, uh, it is a threat. The, the only reason, if I were to go right now on Twitter and say Ant Anthony Piagentini lives at XXXXX, um, th there's no apparent reason for me to do that unless I'm asking for people to go and show up at your house and do something. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, I get it. I I am as strong an advocate of free speech as you're ever going to find. Um, you know, I I it it I think it's vital that we be able to have dialogue, but what there's a difference between you know freedom of speech and actually threatening people and as you say there's we've outlined that you can't threaten people and it's a passive aggressive way of doing it but essentially if like i said if i post hey you know between 5 and 6 p.m. every day you know anthony piagentini is grabbing a coffee at starbucks at what you know right. whatever whatever come on man you know what you, you know what's going on here um and so and and and, and, and this is why you know when when 
when we debate issues locally, we're, we're about to debate the road closures on the parks. We're, yeah. we're actually creating an ordinance that will uh, reopen them immediately and, and basically prevent the mayor from ever closing down public roads and, and parks ever again. Um, but, but one of the things that some Metro council members and the mayor did who support closing these roads, they did a survey. Okay. First of all, that survey isn't worth the freaking, you know, bits on the computer screen <laughs> that, that, I mean, because first of all, it's not scientific. It's not a poll. Right. They didn't poll people. Right. And made sure it was pro- properly polled the entire community of taxpayers, uh, Republican and Democrat, people that live locally and don't live locally. Right. No, it was a survey. What do they do? They get advocacy. They went to the Olmstead Foundation and got their people to jump in there and say, shut down the roads. They got all the people that hate cars, say, shut down the roads. They got bike groups to say, shut down the roads. It's mob justice. Yeah. And what I keep telling people is there is a damn good reason we don't live in a democracy, right? We have democratic principles, but we live in a a representative republic. We do so because this is exactly what happens when we start to rule by democracy. You get mob justice. Yep. You get you get the majority ready to do anything to stop, shame, ridicule, threaten anybody that disagrees with them on any issue. Right. And that is not it's expressly against how our government was set up, whether it's federal, state or local. Yeah. And so whenever I hear the mayor say, well, we need to get public input and all this stuff to me, <laughs> what I hear him saying is I want to take power away from the actual. I was actually elected. Thousands of people actually had the ability to walk into a place, say, yes, I want that man making decisions for me. Right. OK. Right. Nobody. When you do a, a survey or you say, well, we need to go public. And then somebody comes up and they say, well, I represent so-and-so. Were you elected? Should be the first question anybody asks. When somebody says, well, I represent uh, the association of da 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 right. first question is, were you elected and how many people elected you? Right. Right? Because I represent 40,000 people in the east end of the city. How many do you represent? Right. Right? And I was elected in a, in a bona fide legal process. Right? You, you probably just, you know, even if you were elected, it was like 12 people that sent an email and said, hey, you represent us. Right. right. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Right. Well, why do they get any say? My, my say is infinitely more important. And quite frankly, that is not how we govern. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, th- that is and, and this whole doxing thing has to do. It's, it's just a technological method of mob justice, which we designed a system to prevent in America. Yeah. Right on, man. Um, hey, man, it's this has been a fun conversation. We 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 covered a wide gamut today. We went a, a lot of lot of different loops. That's pretty cool. It's it's, it's like stream of consciousness. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's how it should be. That's how conversations should go. Anyway, so absolutely. Hey, listen, it's good talking to you. Stay safe, and uh, we'll chat again you soon, too, my man. friend. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate All right, brother. You, All right. Dude, that was a wide-ranging conversation. I always love talking to uh, Councilman Anthony P. He's fantastic. I think he should be the mayor of Louisville. I think if, if if you folks in Louisville don't get your stuff together and elect that guy as your next mayor, you got a problem. Seriously. You really – quit complaining then, right? You Quit complaining about potholes. Quit complaining about it if you're not going to actually do something and put somebody in there that can actually lead. So make it happen. All right, big thanks to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, our sponsor. We appreciate them so much. Um, I've been a customer of theirs twice did our kitchen and our master bath with them, and they. I'm confident that the work that they did is the reason the house sold. Bam, like 24 hours. We had a couple offers within 24 hours. It's pretty crazy. 
And I really think the kitchen is what sells a house. I mean, it really does. A lot of people come in and they're like, I can live with this, but I need a better kitchen, right? If you get your kitchen upgraded, whether you're going to live in the house forever or you're going to you know, turn it over at some point, it's going to have all kinds of added value for personal enjoyment, uh, entertainment enjoyment, but also if you decide to sell. So having a great kitchen, it's a really powerful thing. So uh, make it happen with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Give them a call. They're at 502-930-3304. They've got three designers on staff, Michelle, Kelly, and George. They're all waiting to take your call. They're super cool people. And uh, they love helping people turn their home into their dream home, right? Their kitchen into their dream kitchen. And uh, I just remember all the years that we got to enjoy those beautiful quartz countertops. Everybody thought they were granite. And I was like, yeah, no, they're quartz. Because uh, they had a beautiful pattern in it that you can really usually only get with granite. But Quartz come a long way in that sense. And it is a little more expensive, but it's much more maintenance-free. So we actually were able to get the best of both worlds with that, right? And we picked out a beautiful color that really matched our style, but it was very low maintenance. So it was really an awesome value. So I highly recommend Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Call my buddy Tim Montgomery over there. Again, the phone number is 502-930-3304, or just go to LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. By the way, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've got cabinets in stock. These are... I'm not talking about the stuff you'd find at like a big box store. I mean, this is good quality stuff. This is beautiful, like all kinds of styles, like shaker, modern, traditional, country, whatever you're looking for. They've got them in stock. They're ready to go if you're a do-it-yourself or a contractor. So check them out, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Big thanks to my co-host, Lazy Nothing, uh, Good for Nothing co-producer and co-host Cameron Mills. Um, the, uh, the, the He's going to be back, I promise. Um, I'm actually looking up here. I want to point you to something cool. Uh, Cameron and I are both going to be special speakers for an event put on by Constitutional Kentucky. Um, and it's going to be the 2021 leadership uh, Conservative Leadership Conference. It's June 5th, 2021. And uh, we're both going to be uh, special speakers there. So I just want to encourage you to check that out. Go to their Facebook page. It's constitutionalkentucky.com, or excuse me, Constitutional Kentucky on Facebook. And you can go there, and they have all the information on how you can get tickets to the event. Uh, I will be speaking on cancel culture, uh, the big tech, and the mainstream media, and how they are dividing America and killing dialogue and free speech. So we're going to have that conversation. Uh, you're going to enjoy Cameron's piece as well. It's a ton of great speakers. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait to be back in the bluegrass state. So check that out. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Instagram I uh, at iHeartRadio. Uh, you can download the podcast for free. Also on podcast, uh, excuse me, on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Again, you can follow me on Instagram. It's at GreatLeLondo, and on Twitter it's at Leland Show. Or you can follow the Disruption Zone on Twitter. It's at Zone Disruption, and on Instagram, it's at The Disruption Zone. So check us out there. Guys, thank you so much for listening and downloading. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps them push us out to more people. We have uh, continued to grow the audience, and we're super excited about that. And we will continue. i got some great special guests lined up coming up soon. Keep listening to The Disruption Zone.